Hello, hello. Hi. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm getting caffeinated and getting ready to rumble. Okay, well, let's get this party started then. Party started? I don't even know. What Are we, are we going to talk about Prisoners of the Ghost Land? Is that the idea? Yes, let's, because you and I both recently watched this movie, and I have thoughts, I have feelings, <laughs> I have opinions. I should hope um, nobody goes into that movie and comes out without thoughts, feelings, or opinions. If people just, like, passively exactly. watch that, there's there's something wrong. Yeah, and entirely is something wrong on their end, because there is something right with this movie. <laughs> Um, just for context, so uh, Sion Sono, uh, the maker of, amongst other things, uh, The Suicide Club, which is an amazing Japanese movie from the early 2000s, I'm saying from the top of my head, um, yeah. where there is this sort of plague of suicides. The opening shot of this movie is amazing. If you have time, please do ever see it. Um, it's about 54 schoolgirls, middle schoolgirls on a train platform with the train approaching and they just happily go like, one, two, and jump while the yeah. train is arriving. <laughs> Very notorious gore scene in my uh, in my teenage years. We we sought out this DVD seeking it yes. like at conventions, finding pirated copies and things like that cuz streaming hadn't quite picked up yet and No, oh my no. Yeah, it was this and Itchy to Killer, right? Back in the day, if you were like an edge lord, you were like, okay, I watched, I watched the Suicide Club. And people would go like, I watched Itchy the Killer. You know, and if you wanted to be like super extra, you'd be like, I, I watched Visitor Q. <laughs> or like the Q you know, everything coming out of, out of Asia at the time. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, so, Sionsono. Uh, Oh, sorry. That yeah. big suicide is at the beginning of the movie, too. So not a big spoiler. Yes. No, no, no. It's like literally the opening scene is, you know, these 54 middle school girls deciding to jump off that platform. So that's like the opening scene. No spoilers at all. Um, so that's Sion Sono. And then we have Nicolas Cage and Sofia Botella. Um and they are also in this movie. <laughs> so the movie is made by a Japanese production, a uh, Japanese director, but they decided to star um, two English speaking actors. Well, Sofia Botella is, is multilingual, but uh, Nick Cage is uh, English speaking as the main character. Uh, I, I mean, know. I. Don't I of this project was or, or anything i remember hearing about it a few years back and and mm -hmm. and being like oh this is the first english speaking uh uh film from cyan sono and yeah uh, i mean i i was perked up simply because of suicide club i think that's my only real uh uh movie that i've seen but mm -hmm. the visuals that were coming out right away and obviously nicholas cage is in some kind of uh, curious renaissance so yeah, yeah. I, anything he's attaching himself to right now is definitely like, okay, cool. What is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, interesting if you just say the Nicolas Cage renaissance has been super interesting lately because it's given us pearls uh, such as Mandy, um, Color Out of Space, Pig, uh, Willy's Wonderland, which in general are movies where he doesn't talk a lot. I think this is like it since that new 
Nicolas Cage revival, basically, that's been going on for the past three, four years. Um, this is one of the movies that he's had the most dialogue in, I feel. For sure. And it's and it's a strange type of dialogue too, which we'll get into. But yeah. I think um, one of the interesting variables, and I've I've heard people sling around the idea that like Nicolas Cage is our new Vincent Price, like, and <laughs> I, you know pe some people may be offended by things like that. But hear me out, like obviously he's an icon now in in genre filmmaking, mm -hmm. um, and uh, some people have said uh who who i would say are wiser than myself and and in the craft such as ethan hawk that uh, nicholas cage is one of the first actors to actually try to change the format of acting on film uh mm. since marlon brando and i think oh, wow. what what some people have uh insinuated here is that nicholas cage instead of trying to work in a realm of realism where he's actually mm. being representational of people and how they would interact with these circumstances tries mm -hmm. to bring a more impressionistic and operatic approach to his performances. And I think that's why he's been so attracted to genre films and very like less speaking roles in the last mm -hmm. few years, because he's taking on these things that are more about mood and tone and um, maybe a little bit more existential in some po points. And that's kind of attracted to whatever he was trying to get through in his career for the most part. Because I think Nicolas yeah. Cage is an intelligent creator, but like mm -hmm. right now is as big swings, big color, big mood movies. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I I, I think what we've now we're now recognizing Nicolas Cageism, basically, like this this very particular brand of acting that he has mastered, and he 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 that's his stamp on hollywood history what do they call Definitely. him wild cage rage whenever like he he has his like <laughs> weird outburst moments yes. which i mean there's definitely there's definitely some in this film for sure oh yeah yeah and it's kind of reminiscent of the the infamous toilet scene of mandy um i think that was a you know chef's kiss moment as we would call it of uh, cage rage um yeah, contained really in a room that showcases what what he's like. That's a very clearly well directed um, funneling of what that performance is supposed to come off as. I think because mm -hmm. like if if the direction and the cinematography don't kind of like assist in whatever that kind of abstract, absurd, over the top strangeness is, where like reality kind of breaks down and we're in this like moment. Mm -hmm. then, you know, it just comes off as campy and weird and awkward. I think that not the bees moment from the Wicker Man remake, you know, yeah. is, is, you know, food for a lot of people to make fun of. But I mm -hmm. that whole like cosmic horror, people don't act in pretty and, and uh, naturalistic ways. We kind of get like fried mm -hmm. from the inside out and behave a little weird. So, yeah, the Mandy one is like that's the best one i've ever seen of of uh the cage rage yeah exactly exactly so this is all bottled up together so we have sion sono we have sofia butera we have nick cage and um in in my written review of this movie while i was like watching it i was noting down notes is um this whole experience of how the set design and the production felt, it's all high quality. Um, 
with the colors and a changing of settings, it felt very much like a play put to film. Um, yeah, there's like mm -hmm. this quality of kind of uh, you are a spectator in a way that you wouldn't be in another type of scenario. Is that right? Is yeah, that kind of yeah. what that feeling is? Yeah, but also the way the narratives, because there are several parties, there are several groups in a film that kind of felt like a musical, but then deconstructed to fit, to fit a movie uh, setting. Um, especially how some of the things, like some of the exposition was portrayed to us. I did read, though, that there were some production issues. Um there was some financing issues, difficulties that meant that the storyline was stripped back to its core with many of the hallucinatory sequences left unfilmed. And Very interesting. Yeah. So this was mentioned at Sundance in a Q&A with the writer. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, visually, it just, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. And there are things that for me, um, because I've, I've worked behind the scenes, I've, I've been on in plays and on stage in musicals um and some of how how the cast and the groups move around and how the narration was done and like i said deconstructed for for a film almost um it felt very very musical like like oh, okay now we have the rats in this corner and they will tell their story in an almost um uh rhyme <laughs> you know type it of fashion kind of like, story in, that, in yeah that yeah phase, right like there are these yeah. like kind of feudal groupings and i guess that, yeah. that's very much in the the theme of like that mad max world but that you know mm -hmm. there are moments that they sing too right exactly like, exactly uh, little quirky uh songs that and at one part feel like they're musical they also feel kind of like they're fascist uh chants uh, mm -hmm. That like dictator would be like, okay, cool, we're all gonna sing this because this is like how we as a as a culture come together, yay! Yeah, but it's yeah. really like creepy. Yeah, um, no, exactly, exactly. And it, it, the way like you have all these groups like kind of sing towards each other, and how everyone's overacting in a way like you would on a stage because you the the type of subtlety that you have in film acting is different from how you kind of have to overact on on stage when you're in a musical because you have to reach the people all the way in the back in the cheap seats as well for sure so uh, this subtle acting that you have in film is kind of like thrown overboard and you just you you have you know larger than life expressions and you you overreach with your your bodily movements and that that kind of felt the same as in again in this movie it felt like they were acting for a stage musical but then it was put to film basically in a way and that was really interesting to see there's some really curious things that i picked up on that um i think um line a lot up like uh with your thinking here and i i didn't go to musicals mm -hmm. i went to german expressionism and uh mm -hmm. early early film and uh german expressionism for a few different reasons um one i know a little bit about nicholas cage's fascination with that too um mm -hmm. there's some iconography that's utilized in the film that that was very reminiscent of things like fritz lang's metropolis mm -hmm. um there's also a lot of movement work that is 
Buto adjacent. It may be Buto. I'd have to like, I want to look mm -hmm. a little bit more into it, but there's definitely mm -hmm. some um, movement dance that, uh, that borders on what I would consider Buto. Mm -hmm, uh, and mm -hmm. um, that kind of, all these little variables that kind of attach to the German expressionistic sort of performance, which was heightened because um, we weren't at the point where you could uh, vocalize and film Mm -hmm. uh, so people did act in very large gestural fashions and, and, uh, as, as audio started to come into movies mm -hmm. and talkies started to become uh, a thing, um, mm -hmm. performances oftentimes when vocalized just felt so big and strange and operatic. And that is helpful when you're trying to portray elements that are conceptual versus, uh, meant to be uh cathartic in the uh suspension of disbelief and i've like yeah. inserted myself as a character this is like i yeah. want you to intellectualize this a little bit and kind mm -hmm. of alienate you to a degree to where you have to think about the concepts versus try to get lost in the oh i'm the hero i'm gonna go save the the uh, damsel in distress it's like no yeah. we're talking about post-atomic uh fascism and mutation mm -hmm. and uh, trying to stop uh, secondary apocalypses. And there's like mm -hmm. big things that are happening in this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that you mentioned the conceptualism because I think that's one of the things that I also um, picked up upon. This is not a straightforward movie. Don't go in expecting a straightforward um you know, uh, post-apocalyptic Mad Max film. No, this is, they, they're they definitely, like we mentioned before, they're doing stuff over the top and it's meant to be like that. You know, the colors are over the top when you see the, you know, the brightness of them. Um, there are some scenes um, with a kid and in the background, the the gummy balls are, are, <laughs> are so brightly colored and there's all these contrasts that they're trying to show. Um, also with inside and outside, it's super interesting to see um, with those scenes. So none of this is, is meant to be like, oh, this is going to be a regular movie. No, you have to see this as indeed like a conceptual art piece. Um, also, also like lowbrow and aware of its silliness. Like in, yeah. Yeah. something very early on that I noticed was um, there's this, uh, and also, uh, sorry, spoilers, uh, obviously, guys, if you're listening <laughs> to this episode, which is dedicated to this, there's going to be some spoilers. Um, yes. But uh, um, there's a part in uh, the sheriff's office when they're kind of just like showing mm -hmm. off uh, Nicolas Cage's character as a prisoner. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the wanted signs are cartoon characters. Yeah. yeah. Specifically Lupin the Third. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like the the idea of like this highbrow, lowbrow kind of uh, mm -hmm. like, okay, this has a sense of humor about what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And there are other big variables too, which are comical. So like, yeah, definitely, definitely. Even though we're getting into existentialism and German expressionism and it like, <laughs> it's, and art, artsy stuff, artsy, like over intellectualized, mm -hmm. oftentimes snobbish, but yeah, I think like this is approached from that um, sushi typhoon, Japanese yeah. trauma kind of love of DIY yes. punk stuff. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, definitely don't, if, if you take away anything from this conversation about this movie, don't have it be that, um, uh, that this is some high art, you know, super highbrow 
only for this Nobby art people type of film. No, literally yesterday when we, when when I was watching this, um, my daughter watched this. There were a few friends over, uh, all vaccinated, by the way. Um, and at one point, we just were like, okay, every time he says Bernice, which is one of the characters' names, we got to do shots. This is just, <laughs> this is oh, insane at this point. You just have to do, or whenever there's like this super focused online that is so freaking cheesy that you just, you cannot, uh, you know, time to take a drink. <laughs> Oh, I love I love I love movie drinking games. I used to play um, yeah. a drink every time uh, Spawn says Wanda in the Spawn movie. Oh my god! Yeah, that uh, that's a good. Well, the same with Bernice in this movie. If you want to get in, like completely shit faced, you know, drink every time Nicolas Cage says Bernice. There's a lot of like very like you said, like every time they have like an exaggerated quote that's kind of over the top. Yeah. Um, I, the, I I was watching the movie like as I would any other movie, just kind of passively enjoying it. And then like mm -hmm. I started to notice like there's too much happening for me to like be able to come back and have uh, uh, appropriate uh, talk about. So I did actually like put out like a page of notes while mm. watching the movie in a movie theater. And my uh, my viewing oh, wow. partner was like, "What were you doing? You're like writing a novel in the movie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and we did, there was so much, there was so much happening. Seriously. And like one of the highlights for me, um, and there are so many, but one of them, again, spoiler, so be prepared. Um, but Nicolas Cage is wearing nutsack bombs. And um, well, he's got, he's got like a whole suit. He's like explosive. He has a whole suit on. Yeah. Next arms. He can't be aggressive towards women. Um, he has three days to, to to find Bernice. And then she has to speak her name into the thing. Uh, it's all exposition. But there are specifically two little bombs on, attached to his nuts. Specifically. Um, where um, it's noted that he is not allowed to get excited, basically, around Bernice. Yeah, Bill, Bill Mosley's character puts him in this uh, over-sexualized zipper suit. And, and yeah. even the process of him putting on this, like, uh, outfit is hyper-sexualized. Like, he's... Oh, yeah. I think they, they insinuate that he's very well-endowed. Um, there's, yep. there's all these girls, like, who are trying to draw him while he's naked. And yep. even people, um, as he is uh, escorted out from the prison to be presented to Bill Mosley, who's going to be the, the governor that sends him out into the wilderness, are like, mm -hmm. let us see your balls. Like, that's something that the crowd yells. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. In on. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly that. And then we get to this moment, and it's so brief that if you look away for a second, you don't know why it's happening. But basically what happens is that She's lost her voice. She does. She haven't drunk in wa water properly in probably more than a couple of days. So she's parched. He gets her water, and then she starts drinking it. And in all his Nicolas Cage-ness, he goes like, oh, yeah. And then one of the bombs goes off, and you well, see... <laughs> that scene is incredible. It's, it's like, okay, so if you just take the words that are being said, like, yeah. all right, he starts giving her water mm -hmm. and the, the words are, oh yeah, oh yeah, mm -hmm. take it. Oh yeah, 
drink it, let it like yes. pour down your throat. Like <laughs> yes. it, it's a porno script. Yep. And yep, yep, they, yep. Play, they do this, um, it's hypersexualized in the language. And obviously there's a lot of insinuation that's happening. Um, mm -hmm. He's not actually like um, manhandling her, but he's, he's, they're they're implying in such a performative and this is like one of those big gesture moves yeah that, that all of a sudden i'm like the language the performance some of these things feel i don't know if this counts as brechtian um but mm -hmm. i definitely was like disattached from it at that point mm -hmm. where i was like okay cool i have to witness this because we're like this is the symbol of his lust and how lusty he is and yeah how he can't help but be a lecher towards this helpless woman yeah, then, but in the same time, in that same scene, I mean, she is not not by the camera at least being objectified or anything no. of the sort. She's just simply holding um, the 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 drink or the water, the flask. Sorry, I couldn't come up with the name. She's holding the flask and she's about to take a swallow. That's it. There is no focus on any of her body parts or her gulping down the water and it drizzling, you know, sexually or anything of the sort. Yeah. That alienation of that idea. Like instead of us trying to have that male gaze variable of like, oh yeah, yeah. Where we're supposed to be incited to that kind of action. It's exactly. like, it's a dirty old man saying, yeah, drink it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, you're like you, you have to witness and he's punished for it. Yeah. Rightfully so. Immediately, immediately punished for it. There is hardly a breath. And uh, when he says, oh yeah. And um, you hear a pop, you hear a beep beep and a pop. And we get to see a full ball. Yeah. Just out of his body <laughs> so, he, so he um uh so this explosion occurs and it's cool because the suit is he's still intact it's just like his mm -hmm. testicle has exploded and now he has pulled it out and is holding it for the camera for you to witness he says something and i i didn't catch it um i know you speak a little japanese uh mm -hmm. he said like shiro aka or something like that Did yeah so that, that? So the, that was hard. I um, I was trying to listen in because, again, I do speak a little Japanese, but that wasn't exactly the word, and it's not something I can translate. So okay. I actually need to rewatch that particular scene so I can more – because he's – the way he and B Bill Mosley in this movie speak Japanese, which, oh you God. know – Oh, it's so painful because um, – uh, for those who are familiar with uh, Tak Sakaguchi, um, amazing, amazing actor. He's in Versus. He's in Shinobi, which is one of my favorite, hands down, one of my favorite movies. Um, gorgeous, you know, he does gorgeous fighting scenes. And it's like he's always the silent, brooding type, anti-hero in all his films. He's a legend so in, in Japan. And so fucking handsome. This guy is in this movie. He's kind of like the, the bodyguard slash right-hand man of the governor, a.k.a. Bill Mosley. And every time Bill Mosley calls this guy, his name is uh, Yashigi, uh, Yashijiro, I think. His, Yashijiro! Uh, yeah, no, but he says it. Yasujiro. 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 Where is Yasujiro? Yasujiro, come over here, Yasujiro. And just, oh my God. <laughs> it became, so that was the second thing, the second drinking game. 
um uh uh you know topic so every time uh, uh nicholas cage would say bernice or when bill mostly would go like yasujiro yeah <laughs> where is yasujiro yasujiro do you like that yasujiro and it's just painful <laughs> well i think like part of the appeal here so um uh westerns uh american westerns mm -hmm. are primarily based on Japanese samurai movies. Yeah. And so the success that we had with Westerns in America, um, mm -hmm. we took a lot of, this is like the old school, what we did when we started doing uh, American remakes of movies in the early 2000s. Yeah. This is what we were doing forever. We've always taken um, Asian cinema and repurposed mm -hmm. it for uh, Western audiences. And mm -hmm. this kind of uh, taking this dichotomy where it's like, over-the-top cowboy kind of qualities clint eastwood and the governor and in his suit and all that um and and also bringing uh the samurai quality into it kind of trying to combine this uh mm -hmm. this polarity and the influences that come into it i think like was also one of those big gestures and bill mosley has this wonderful kind of trash country uh uh accent that he really leans into and it's like a bastard mm -hmm bastardization of uh you know he, he doesn't care what how to say uh the words in japanese properly oh, although no. like, I, I don't think that's like uh necessarily the intent but that kind of over dramatized characteristic is like this mm -hmm. is he's a he's a caricature of a cowboy yeah yeah uh, and it's it's shown also in 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 that subtown where they're at, because everyone's very, even the Japanese people, they're very, either they're samurais or they're cowboys, and mm -hmm. they speak with very heavy accents. So if they're speaking English, it's like, for instance, Susie, and she was one of my favorite characters in this movie with the da 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 da. Bernice, are you? Uh, I can't do the Japanese accent, but with a very thick Japanese accent, she goes, "You are back, you are back," and it's just, oh my god, it's so good. It was just, she, I lapped it up, I lapped it up like a kitty. Of so many other characters in um, Japanese movies that I've seen before, this kind of um, uh, manic, uh, feigning madness kind of. Yes, uh, kawaii uh, character, and I th I want to say like I'd seen something like that, um, uh, expressed in Suicide Club. It's been so long since I've seen that yeah. film, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's the that element of uh, I don't know, like we want to care for her, but we're also scared as hell of her, kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, and and it's 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 <laughs> it's super interesting because. I mean, her character goes through all kinds of stuff in the background as well and how she has interactions. And there's a lot of like, they kind of tease a lot of the stuff that she eventually does with when she's acting as if she's crazy, but she's just acting out the stuff that she's about to do later on in the movie, basically. Mm -hmm. Which is which was hilarious to me as well. I, uh, I again, I really like this. It was... Don't let the over-the-topness of the colors, the performances um, uh, deter you when this starts. Like, if you go in knowing that it's something conceptual, but still hitting both high and lowbrow beats, then you should be fine. You just yeah. you should enjoy whatever you're seeing happening on the screen. I, 
I, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously, like it kind of sells it like it's going to be like a action uh, adventure kind of story. And I mm-hmm. think that um, w- maybe with whatever the production uh, issues were, they had to pull back and become something that was a little bit more gestural and they couldn't like fine tune the script or anything like that. And also mm-hmm. things get lost in translation. You have American actors working with uh, Japanese director. I think like I think they did really well considering that uh, um, cultural uh, interpretations and ideas might might have differed or something like this because this definitely mm-hmm. has some of that reminiscence of um, uh, sushi typhoon Japanese trauma films like Meatball yeah. Machine where it's yeah. like this is all big and campy and weird and it pulls to me like a punk rock collage it looks yeah. like this is turn your brain off and just kind of enjoy the oddity of it and yeah. enjoy some popcorn relax like you don't have to think about all the things but it also at the same time um is taking some of like influence from some really really cool and fun stuff for mm-hmm. instance like there's the whole phase uh when we start going into the ghost land and mm-hmm. we start kind of being exposed to all these strange elements um yeah parading mannequins and strange dancing fair. And it reminded me a lot of Teruo Ishii's uh, The Horrors of Malformed Men. There was a lot mm. of things that reminded me of that. But mm. like the Horrors of Malformed Men is very much like an island of Dr. Moreau. We're being introduced to this area where all these like people have been kind of abstracted and bastardized. And in Malformed Men, there's the Buto element as well. We have uh, Tatsumi Hijikata, um, which I will reference probably in every episode of this podcast. Um, but uh, like, who is like one of the founders of the Buteau, uh movement art, and um, he's one of the main characters of Malformed Men. Here we have um, a Rat Man. We have uh, this kind of uh, Undertaker character who's been like supplanting mannequin parts onto living people and and making them into mm-hmm. walking ghosts which is very much in line with the post-atomic ideologies of Buteau that mm-hmm. like we are living ghosts. We are at this point, at any point from now on, mm-hmm. living in a, a moment between existence and death because a, atomic war means that you could, everything yeah. could disappear right now. Yeah. And time and the atomic clock becomes a big variable in uh, the fact that one of the major set pieces is uh, a nuclear power plant that has already had a major reaction and is going to have another one. They've already mm-hmm. told you it's going to have another one. Yeah. And um, the the big gestural move that the ghost land itself is doing is they're telling them the the leader of their town, Enoch, is mm-hmm. is reading old literature to the community to pacify them while workers uh, struggle to hold back an arm of a clock on a giant clock tower on the reactor. And that the image of that clock tower is very reminiscent of uh, the uh, Moloch scene in Mm. Fritz Lang's Metropolis, where where, um, our main character uh, has a hallucination where he sees all the people being overworked and Mm -hmm. seeing image of a demon over the the structure itself and how it's been manipulating us over this time so time is like the the big uh element that 
goes so through. sorry. That's my cat in the background. Cat's got something to say about it. I, I mentioned yeah. Mo Moloch, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, we're getting some cats in here. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> gateway, gateway to death. You start talking about atomic atomic uh, ends, and the the cats are like, "Okay, cool, we're here." They we're are here. sensitive to that stuff, so. Keepers. <laughs> But uh, no, I I think like I got really excited to see um, so many things that mm -hmm. lined up with my personal interests uh, in in those big sweeping moves, and you know it's punk as fuck. It's fun. It's a it's a dumpster fire, but it's a it's a fun dumpster fire. Exactly, exactly. And just go into it open minded, like you said. I think that's the best way to handle this. Um, and if you can watch it with a bunch of friends and a couple of beers or drinks, I think uh, that's a good setting to just let it, you know, and it just just have a fun night and and have this on. I think everything that comes across the scene that can elicit some type of reaction, which is the best setting, uh, if you ask me. Exactly. I want more. I want more movies where we're having fun. <laughs> exactly exactly oh my goodness so we've made a lot of references again as as we do always um we'll make sure that we put those in the blog post um how would you rate this movie ben i mean i'm the worst when it comes to rating systems if you've looked at my letterbox everything gets five <laughs> stars unless i hate it and in which case it gets like three because i'm i'm not all art is valid um mm -hmm. i recommend people watch this movie that's that's what I can do for you. <laughs> okay, well that that's good enough. That's good enough. Um, I definitely gave it a higher rating than a lot of the other critics that watched this during festival time with me, um, and that's mainly I think also because I was more prepared to go into this with a with a more open mind. I think that's the best advice that we can give um, everyone going in uh, that you know they should really just keep your mind open and don't expect a run-of-the-mill linear straightforward narrative from a movie like this because this is worth your time so definitely recommending this and i gave it four stars hell yeah yeah oh we should maybe put our letterboxes in the blog as well let's do that so yeah, ben's letterbox link and my letterbox link uh, will be in uh, this episode's blog post as well yeah come we, i mean obviously we like to talk about movies but um mm -hmm. uh i also incoherently write about them sometimes and uh you know <laughs> as as we've always expressed we we like the idea of community so come check out us on letterbox on our social media comment yes. like things the more you guys do stuff like that the more interactivity it tells us what you're interested in and in hearing more of so we can uh, uh keep uh, putting it out there yeah my cat is totally agreeing on the background here um do interact with us let us know if you want more kitty sounds as well <laughs> yeah, um and let us know if you like episodes like this where we just tackle one title or one topic uh, like this. Because uh, it was fun for us, but we hope it was fun for you as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for listening. Next episodes are coming up. Oh, um, quick thing. Um, since uh, Global Horror is starting on their, um, that's me and uh, Andrew, um, are starting on our India list. 
um, we might be uploading some of the older episodes um, here on the Cultured Curators channel. Oh so gosh, that will, awesome. yeah. So that's not going to be me and Ben. That's going to be me and Andrew. Uh, but if you're interested in horror history and especially in horror filmmakers from specific countries talking about the horror um, history and style from their country and their mythologies and such, um, I think we'll be uploading. Uh, Indonesia with Joko Anwar. We have Brazil, uh, where the Portuguese is live translated by Lupa, um, uh, who is my foster daughter. And um, it, our guest is Rodrigo Argao, who is like the the next in line when it comes to the Joe Coffing uh, lineage in uh, in Brazil. And um, I think we have a few more. I think we have a, a Thailand episode with Yitlert uh, S. So um, if you're interested in that, keep an eye on uh, the feed. We'll post those in our uh, Cultured Curators podcast feed. Yeah, that's that's very exciting. I love, Andrew Pope of Whitlock and Pope is is a wonderful yes. movie critic who who's out there on on the social medias and is well worth the follow if you get an opportunity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, all those links, since we were talking about Letterboxd, um, all the links for the global horror lists, so for all the movies that we watched uh, per country, um, are in my letterbox. So feel free to uh, give those a look-see. There are some really nice ones in there, and you can see my ratings for, for all the films. I think Hong Kong and Indonesia right now are my two favorites, <laughs> although we also did Italy, Spain, uh, Mexico, New Zealand. So, uh, These are yeah. a great jumping-off point if you want to expand your, um, your movie knowledge for countries that um, oftentimes don't get spoken about in, in at least the circles I'm running around. So it's great education, great, like... Uh, uh, introduction um by people who actually love what they're doing so definitely a great resource that you guys have supplied here for for people thank you thank you yeah we're happy to do it and um happy to keep these going they're just less um frequent as normal because um both andrew and myself have have become busy people <laughs> over time it's a lot of work i mean you guys watched a yeah. lot of movies I, I i've sat in on, on on those recordings uh while while they were live and mm -hmm. just incredible the amount of uh attention to detail and care that you guys went through just like uh you know picking a country and saying we're gonna watch a bunch of movies from this country specifically yeah. genre like horror films but <laughs> exactly i mean um right now i'm working on the letterbox list for india which will be our 10th episode or our 10th edition and um I've not even broached like half yet and I'm already at a hundred and something titles. So <sighs> it's, <laughs> I'm giving myself more time for this. Probably we'll, uh, we'll start recording it somewhere in October. Rock and roll. Yes. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, like Ben already said, do interact with us online. We have a Discord. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram. We both have our personal Instagrams as well. Feel free to send us messages there. We're, all of our info and the blog posts accompanying these episodes are on the website, the Cultured Curators, multiple, so plural.com. And that's it for now. Make sure to review us and subscribe. Like and subscribe.